Let us pray. Once more, gracious Father, we pray for your spirit to come, to be poured upon us into our hearts and our minds, to lead and direct us, to renew us, to plant your word and your truth deeply within us that we would continually be transformed and reflect the glory of Jesus in our lives. Grant us to cling to your truth at all times. Ever increase our faith and trust and enable us to do all that you call us to do each moment of our lives. And we ask all of this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. When I think about old movies I used to watch, I used to love watching the old Godzilla movies, the ones that came out of Japan that they would just redub with English voice actors in order that we English people could understand them. One of the, one, one of the wonderful parts that I loved about these movies were the versus ones, where it's Godzilla versus some other monster or some other monster versus Godzilla. One of the things I noticed in all of these movies was how they were titled. Ultimately, if Godzilla was considered the bad guy in the movie, if he was considered the one that had to be stopped, and he was fighting against another monster, and that monster was going to win, that monster's name would be first in the title. In the Godzilla movie, say Mothra was going to fight Godzilla, it'd be Mothra versus Godzilla. And that's how the movies were. If Godzilla was going to win, it'd be Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. They just worked that little, little thing into the movies when they brought them over in order to kind of give you a hint of what was going to happen, a hint of how the movie would turn out so that you would know who to root for and who to be against. And of course, they had to do that because, after all, Godzilla is a great, great monster. Even when he's a bad guy, you kind of root and want him to destroy stuff because it's fun to watch him destroy stuff because it's just fun, crazy movies. In today's passage from Romans, we have a versus situation. On one hand, we have Paul talking about Adam and what he has done. And on the other hand, we have Christ and what he has done. And how their two actions, their two choices, affect mankind. How they affect all of those who are to be found in each of them. And so in like manner of those old Godzilla movies where whoever was going to win the battle is always listed first. The situation we find in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, is a situation of Christ versus Adam. These two men make two deadly choices. And these two deadly choices will cause all of reality to be changed. I mean, think it's strange to talk about those deadly choices, to talk about what Christ chooses to do as a deadly choice, but it truly is. Just as Adam's choice was deadly to himself and all of mankind, Christ's choice is deadly to himself. And the first thing that we're going to see in Paul's writings is that the first deadly choice is sin's entrance and death's reign over all of mankind. Beginning at verse 12, St. Paul writes that just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Right here, jumping straight out of the gate, one man is the cause of all sin in the world. Sin came through one man, 
and death spread to all of these men because all sinned. Paul is going to reveal that this first man is the first Adam. Adam himself is the one who brought sin into this world. He transgressed God's law in the beginning. God created him perfect and righteous, and he dwelt in the garden alongside Eve, his wife. They dwelt together in God's presence. God would literally come down and walk in their midst. But then the serpent came and tempted, and Adam fell. He chose sin. He chose his own path. He chose walking in his own way, discovering the knowledge of good and evil in his own way. And because all of us are united to him, all of us flow from him, all of us come from him, we were all in him when he sinned, we also sinned and bear guilt. And we are changed by his decision. Such that, Paul goes on to say, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. See, death reigned because sin was in us. Sin was part of humanity now. Humanity's nature, originally made perfectly in the image of God, in communion with God, in relation to God. That sin broke that relation. It broke that union. It broke that communion apart. And that sin nature is passed down from generation to generation to generation after Adam. We all partake of Adam's sin because we all partake of the sin nature. Adam's one sin brought sin into each person that comes from him. And that sin allows death to come, allows death to reign over us, allows death to create fear, to drive us further and further from God. Even when there wasn't an explicit written law, sin was still there because death was there. Even though in some sense, without the written law there, humanity was not necessarily being condemned for every single little jot and tittle that they might break of God's moral law. But there is still a sense of law there because the law is written on our hearts. Paul talks about that earlier in Romans. The law was written on man's hearts. We have a conscience. We have a recognition of right and wrong, even if we're not getting all the details correct. And so even over those who didn't have an explicit written law to transgress, they still were transgressing that law that God wrote into us. And they knew it. And they knew even more that sin, that law was being broken, that they were sinners because death reigned over all of them from Adam until Moses. Even if they did not sin in the same way that Adam did with the breaking of an explicit law. You see, this first deadly choice allowed that sin to enter into each of us, allowed it to warp us, to reshape us, to turn us into people who are not properly speaking in the image of God, who reflect a broken, a distorted image, a warped image. There are vestiges of God's image left in us, but it's so broken that it's hard to see sometimes. It's hard to identify, but yet it's there. And this sin nature is shared by each and every one of us because we are all descended from one man. Thus, we are all one people. No matter where we come from in this world, we are all related to one another in one way or another through Adam, through Noah. There is one ultimate human race 
that shows up in a variety of ways all over the world. But we all share an ancestor in common named Adam who brought sin into us, who brought sin into this world, who brought death with that sin. And that was his deadly choice, that he brought sin and death and ultimately condemnation on us, breaking that one command. We've been made sinners through and through. Adam's one trespass led to condemnation for all men, Paul will say in verse 18. Because what happens in these, in these verses, verse 12 begins a thought that Paul starts here. But then he starts addressing all these other things in verses 13 through 17. He starts making all these comparisons with regard to this deadly choices. And then picks back up that thought from verse 12 and verse 18. As he spoke, speaks of that one sin that leads to death, so that death is in all mankind. Verse 18, he picks up that thought with one act of righteousness leads to justification. You see, Jesus himself makes another deadly choice. But Jesus' deadly choice leads to righteousness and life in his name. It leads to renewal. It leads to salvation. It leads to removing us from condemnation into commendation. From condemnation into commendation. It brings us into a place where we please God because he has renewed our hearts and our minds. He has removed that sin from us. And Jesus' choice was a deadly choice for himself. To follow in obedience to God would mean suffering and agony from the very people he was working to save. Tim Keller points out that the first Adam was promised life through his obedience, through his simply living in God's kindness while in the garden. But he turned away from that kindness, from that promise, from that great and glorious life in relation with God. And because of that, we all lost what he had. But the second Adam, Jesus himself, knew that he would receive agony and glory or agony and death in light of his own obedience. The first Adam would receive life and salvation and relation continually with God. The second Adam would receive death for obedience. But see, this deadly choice that leads to Christ's death isn't deadly for us. Because Paul continues in verse 15 as he's on this side note, this tangent, explaining aspects of what the differences are between the trespass and the gift. The free gift is not like the trespass, Paul says, regarding Jesus' deadly choice. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. All of us were condemned in Adam. And now all of those who are in Christ find salvation. There's an asymmetry here. While it seems like they are equal in some sense that one affects all people and brings death and condemnation and then Christ's choice and his gift brings life and salvation, that seems pretty well balanced, doesn't it? But it's asymmetrical because what Jesus does is greater than what Adam did. 
Adam marred and scarred the human race and took us from that original glory that he had for us. But Jesus' death and resurrection, bringing life and salvation, brings a complete renewal to who we are. He not only removes the sin that stands between us and God, removing it, obliterating it, destroying it, but he brings about a complete transformation of who we are, taking us from what we once were as sinners into true and total righteousness in Christ. And even more so, the asymmetry is seen at the end of time when Jesus returns and we are totally renewed and glorified and given a life like Christ to fully participate in the eternal life that he pours out through himself into us even now. His deadly choice leads to total life, total salvation, complete justification, being made right with God, being brought into right relationship with the Father. Because after all, that free gift came after many trespasses that flowed out of that one sin. Adam's one sin leads to many trespasses because all of humanity now sins. All of humanity makes the wrong choices. All of humanity breaks the law, both written and revealed fully through the moral law and the Ten Commandments, but also the law of which is written upon our hearts, that conscience that cries out against our actions. Marred as it may be, it still cries out. And we have many trespasses that have to be overcome alongside that one sin nature that we carry, those trespasses flowing out of that sin nature. But Christ's gift, his one act of justification, his one act of righteousness, overcomes everything. It obliterates it. It sets it aside, removing it from the Father's sight that we might come and receive that forgiveness, that we might come and be renewed. There's a sense here in which this is primarily about the sin nature versus Jesus' act. The one sin of Adam versus Jesus' one act of righteousness. That one sin of Adam does create all kinds of other sins that we commit. But even if somehow we didn't have all these other sins on our record, the very fact that we are born into this world with that sin nature means we are condemned. And that sin nature itself has to be overcome, not just individual sins, but the very sin nature itself has to be overcome by Jesus. And he overcomes it through his deadly choice of approaching the cross, of dying on the cross, in order that he might be raised back into new life, removing sin from before the Father's eyes, that righteousness would be poured out through him. As Paul says in verse 17, For by because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In Adam, we were made sinners. In Adam, we were made slaves to that sin. In Christ's deadly choice, bringing death unto himself, he brings an abundance of grace, an overabundance, a superabundance of grace, and a gift of righteousness that we might reign in life through Jesus himself. That we go from being slaves to being kings and queens to being rulers over creation, becoming rulers over ourselves 
to take control of the sin that fights and strives against us because we've been given new life in Jesus. We've been given the Holy Spirit through Jesus' work transformed by that one act of righteousness to overcome that one act of sin. Many were made sinners by one sin, but by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Many will overcome the sin that has bound them to slavery. Many will overcome the work of Adam in Jesus because Jesus has overcome that work of Adam for us. Being marred by our sin, we could never overcome that. We could never push beyond it. We could never rise up above the brokenness within. And so Jesus comes and lifts us out of that brokenness by taking that brokenness onto himself. That we might be freed, that we might live a life in righteousness in Jesus. That we might discover the joy of obedience, that we might discover the joy of being in Christ and receiving his life and following him in everything that he calls us to do. And that is Christ versus Adam. Christ overcomes Adam. He defeats Adam. He destroys what Adam did to us. And now all of those who receive that gift, who receive that grace, are changed, are made into new people, are made into a new creation, are made to reign in life, to live a new kind of life. And so those two deadly choices were ones that change all of reality. Adam's deadly choice creates sin in this world, leads to the marring and destruction of all things, leads to death itself reigning over us. However, the second Adam, Jesus himself, his one act of righteousness brings new life, brings eternal life to all of us. And so Paul, having completed that thought about one man, Righteousness overcoming one man's sin. He addresses one lingering issue for us. You see, he brought up something about the law before. The law of Moses coming into this world. What was the purpose of that? Here, one aspect of that purpose of it being written down, Paul reveals to us in verse 20. The law came in to increase the trespass, to increase the sin in us, to cause us not to sin more often, but primarily to cause us to see the sin we were committing. To not only see the sins that we were committing, but to see the sin within. The law causes us to see the brokenness, causes us to see and understand that we cannot fully overcome that sin in us. The sin curbs us and draws us away from committing all kinds of acts of sin. But nonetheless, it reveals to us that our hearts are sinful in and of themselves, left to themselves, they'll pursue sin. But you see, what does God do when he reveals that sin to it, when he reveals that law to his people, when he turns and reveals that law to the whole world through his people? His grace abounds all the more. A more literal way that we could almost put it to capture the joy and the jubilance of this grace abound all the more would be grace superabounded, grace over abundantly came upon this world in a way that we could never imagine the aboundedness of grace being poured out. I think about those old super pinky balls that 
You just barely have to throw it down and it bounces so high. That's what this grace is like. So much greater than any other thing in this world. And no matter the sin and the trespasses we commit, grace overcomes that. God's goodness, his mercy, his favor in Jesus abounds over and above and beyond whatever sin dwells within. And so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, St. Paul concludes. That though sin reigns in death, God's goodness, his favor, his mercy reigns through righteousness, through the righteousness of Jesus that leads to eternal life for us in Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus. And that is the fight concluded. Christ versus Adam. The overcoming of Adam's sin by Christ's righteousness, by his act for us on our behalf. And as we conclude, I want us to remember that these two deadly choices made on our behalf create a path between two stones for us. You see, on one hand, we've heard a lot last week and this week about our brokenness, about our sinfulness, and even about God's holiness against that sin, that he judges, that he condemns sinners when they are lost in their sin. And one struggle that we can have is seeing our sin so deeply, so much, that we despair of hope, that we forget that Jesus died on our behalf, that we lose sight of Jesus himself because we become so obsessed looking at the sin that we've committed. That's an error that we make because Jesus fully and totally and completely overcomes that sin and puts it away. So that even when our conscience is screaming so hard, so mightily against us for committing sins, we can cry out, all the more Jesus has died for me to undo that sin in me, to transform me, to turn me from that sin. And so I fall on the hope of Jesus. I fall into his righteousness. I fall into what he has accomplished on my behalf, knowing that he has forgiven me of that sin and that it has overcome for my sake. On the other side, the other stone, sometimes we get to thinking, well, if God can forgive any kind of sin, then it doesn't matter what I'm ever going to do in my life. It doesn't matter what sins I commit. So I'll just do whatever I want and say, Jesus forgives me. It's okay at the end of the day. To have that attitude is to actually deny the work of Jesus for us. Because it says God doesn't really care about your sin. God doesn't care that you're a sinner. He doesn't care about the sin nature that you carry within you. And if God doesn't care about sin, then why would he bother dealing with it? And so grace disappears as we enter into a licentious lifestyle, as we enter into a place of just simply committing sin for the sake of committing sin. We become, on this side, lost in the depth of our sin and thus lose sight of Jesus again. Both of these sides, becoming so obsessed that our sin can't be forgiven, but then becoming so obsessed that if sin can be forgiven, it doesn't matter, are the two dangers, are two dangers that we continually fight against. Despair and licentiousness. But what we do is we keep our eyes on Jesus. We look at the life of Jesus. We look at his death and his resurrection and remember that Jesus died for my sins. Therefore, they are forgiven and they matter. 
God is concerned about the sin nature in me so much that he sent Jesus to die, to overcome, to destroy that sin nature in me, that I might be transformed to move away from those sins, to move away from the sin nature and its guidance of my life. And so I look to Jesus. I keep my eyes on Jesus, knowing that he, in his deadly choice, undid Adam's deadly choice. That he has undone the sin in me. And I receive that by faith. I receive that by looking to Jesus. And when I look to Jesus, I'm given that chance to confess, to turn, to live, to repent, and to rest in him. And to receive his favor and his grace more and more. That that free gift will lead me to reigning in him. Reigning over myself and over creation alongside him and all of God's people. That we are bound up in Jesus himself because of what he has done for us. And so may we continually look to Jesus in faith, knowing that he overcame the sin, that our sin does not overcome us when we are in Jesus. Jesus overcomes our sin for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.